wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Wrestle Rant Radio for September 28th, 2017. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. And as always, we've got a stacked show on tap for you fine folks here today. From talking about No Mercy last Sunday to Raw on Monday to SmackDown Live on Tuesday and everything else in between. But before we get to the good stuff, a few things I do want to address real quick. Um, I mentioned last week and on Twitter we were supposed to have a guest on today's show at Spencer Hunt. Good friend of mine, great guy, and a longtime supporter of the show. He had some car trouble, couldn't make it. That obviously comes first and foremost, so I appreciate him letting me know. So, Spencer, if you're listening, thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. And we're going to have you back here on the show at some point, whether it be next week or the week after. He will be making his WrestleRant Radio debut. I know he was looking forward to it. I was looking forward to it, but that kind of shit comes first. Very shitty situation to be in. I think he said it was a flat tire. So, best of luck, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Um, and also, I do want to thank everyone for their amazing support of episode 200 of Hashtag Asgism, which went live yesterday for the first time. Now, get this. I've had a YouTube channel since 2009. March, I believe, of 2009. So over eight years, almost nine years at this point, like eight and a half years, I would say. And never before, and I think it only started about two years ago, to be fair, but I had never gone live before. I think Google live streaming in the Hangouts and all that other shit Started up around 2015, someone told me. But even in that time, I never went live. Not even once. So um, I'm very happy to have said I have done it. We got it through it. The first half hour of the video is just me looking at a computer screen trying to figure out what the hell I'm doing. But we did get it up and running. We had a lot of great people sending questions during the show and even beforehand as well. Awesome guest too. We had Tom, the my former co my former co-host here on Wrestle Rant Radio, got to talk to him for the first time in many months since the last show that we did together back in May. So it was great to reconnect with him. You hear ourselves talking for the first time in like four months here on the show on uh, on hashtag AskGSM that is, uh, which was pretty cool. So you get to hear Tom again for the first time in a while. RJ returns to hashtag AskGSM for the first time in I think over a year and a half. Jason makes a special guest appearance at the beginning. Uh, Even my girlfriend Haley calls in and a few others as well. So it was a great time, almost three hours in length. I think the only other episode that came close to topping that was like nearly two hours. And this one blew that one out of the water. So again, the first 15 minutes is like me trying to figure out what the hell I'm doing. But um, beyond that, it was a lot of fun. It's up on the channel now. Again, check it out. Episode 200 of Hashtag AskGSM. Talk about the support that you guys show for this show. More importantly for Hashtag AskGSM, this has been running, that's been running even longer than this, dating back to the summer of 2013. So everyone who has ever supported that show, my Q&A video every Wednesday on the channel, on the YouTube channel, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, let the road continue on to episode 300, 400, 500. And there on out. Again, thoroughly appreciate it. But enough of that stuff. Let's get on to Wrestle Rant Radio here today again 
for September 28, 2017. A lot in the news, a lot going on in WWE, like I said. We had uh, No Mercy last Sunday, which I'll talk all about in a few moments. But before we get to that stuff, I do want to share a quick clip from this week's TNA, Impact Wrestling, GFW, whatever the hell you want to call them, their conference call. Now, I've talked about this before, and last week I shared a quick clip at the end of my episode with Jamie Lee Mack. Again, check out that episode if you haven't already. Jamie is freaking awesome. We had a great hour-plus-long conversation talking all things WWE and beyond. But at the end of that episode, I shared my quick clip of the mini-interview that I did with LAX's Conan from Impact Wrestling. Uh, talking Rey Mysterio and how they separate themselves from everyone else in the roster, which was cool. Now, I've been doing these GFW Impact Wrestling conference calls for about a month and a half now. I got invited to the, one of the first ones, and I've been a part of it ever since. I got to talk to Johnny Mundo, uh, who's... I don't think I put Lashley's on here on the show. I think I might have bunched that with the others. Um, but I got to put my... I got not, not part of the conference call, but I got to talk to Eli Drake a while ago, Loki, Sanjay Dutt, Johnny Mundo, Lashley... Uh, Trevor Lee and a few others as well. So it's it's been a blast to be a part of. And this week it was Ethan Carter the third EC3, one of the in my opinion faces of the company at this point, having been there for almost four years. The guy is great, so freaking hilarious. So there was only really one time he, he spent quite a bit of time on each question. So I only had time to ask him one question, which you'll air here now. I just talk about the differences, or I ask him about the differences between the creative freedom he's had in Impact Wrestling over the past number of years. Versus the time that he had, uh, you know, the, the amount of creative freedom that he had on the fourth and fifth seasons of NXT back when it wasn't what it is today and the, no one really cared about the show and no one paid attention. Which we've talked about here before. I know I had Tyrus, the former Brodus clan, wrestle Rant Radio about two years ago and he said the same thing. So I wanted to get his two cents on it. And it's a great response. I mean, he has a, he has a great um, answer for my question. But even funnier than that, he does... Uh, I start off by saying this is Graham Matthews with HiddenRemote.com, and he says, are you Josh Matthews' brother, which is pretty damn funny. So I just want to share that quick clip, and uh, we'll go off from there talking about everything else going on in the world of wrestling. Hi, Ethan. This is Graham Matthews with HiddenRemote.com. How are you doing today? Great. Are you Josh Matthews' brother? I, I get that a lot, but no, that's unfortunately not true. I mean, that might be a good thing. But anyway, so I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about uh, your, currently, your creative freedom in Impact Wrestling compared to your time in NXT in seasons four and five of Redemption. Uh, can you kind of compare the two? Do you have, can you get away with more in Impact compared to the NXT TV where you know, the, uh, the powers that be weren't paying too much attention? Can, can you kind of compare those two tenures, please? I think uh, at the point I am now in Impact, you know, I've, I've been there a few years. I've solidified myself in a pretty top position. So I have a little bit of leeway, but at the same time, I never exploit that leeway to go into business for myself or do what is wrong. If I mess up, if I blow it, you know, I'm the first one to know, and I fully expect to be uh, reprimanded the second I get back. But fortunately, that doesn't happen too much because I try to, you know, as I said earlier, approach what the business of what we're trying to accomplish is. Uh, NXT season four and five, we had you know, shocking amount of creativity and uh, creative freedom based solely on the fact that nobody really cared or was watching. So it was a lot of, like, it was a great learning experience for what I have now, and it was, you know, it was fun. Uh, the only thing that wasn't fun was, you know, the indifference you kind of felt doing it, like, it didn't really matter how great it was because, you know, they had bigger fish to fry, and I understand that. So... NXT, even in developmental with Dusty Rhodes, was a lot of uh, ability to explore who you, who you were 
And uh, in my time in WWE, I never really had a chance to do anything that was, you know, super controlled by writing and creative. Besides selling Mark Henry Cologne, and we saw how that turned out. But uh, NXT was a great experience to learn from. Uh, it's not what it is today, and I seem to have a similar amount of ability to explore themselves, which is good. But at the same time, what I do in impact, you know, I do what I think is best for the company, and at the same time, it's hopefully entertaining and poignant and uh, slightly different that the fans can enjoy. Awesome, thanks. Yeah, buddy. Again, big thanks to EC3 for his very short period of time. I only got to ask one question. Usually it's about like two to three, but the conference call ran only like 45 minutes, and he spent quite a bit of time on each question, obviously. So no matter how brief our mini-interview was, I could still say I got to talk to Ethan Carter III, to EC3. The guy is great. He's always entertaining, consistently one to watch, and in fact wrestling every single week. So no matter what you think of the product, which has improved immensely in my opinion, over the past few months with their new regime, and you could still say about what the hell's going on behind the scenes and the name changes, which I can't really comment on because it's a whole giant freaking mess. But the on-air product is always and has been good. Not Maybe not always, but uh, usually more often than not has been good throughout 2017. So definitely, definitely check it out when you can, uh, if only for EC3. That being said, guys, a few things I do want to talk about real quick before we get into No Mercy Raw and SmackDown Live from last week. I was at NXT LOL last Thursday. I think I might have mentioned that on last week's episode of WrestleRant Radio, which was recorded mere hours before I left. Uh, so big shout out to Mr. Marceau at RJ underscore Marceau on the Twitter machine, as well as Noah Wade at NJ Wade underscore on the Twitter machine as well, who was on hashtag AskGSM with me the very next day. We had a great time. It was a blast of a show. For more information on my experience at the event, I will not be talking about it in a random video blog, uh, just because it wasn't like that newsworthy of a show. I did it for like the first NXT LOL house show that we went to about a year and a half ago. That's just because Samoa Joe won the NXT championship. Uh, that was a really, really newsworthy night, and that was awesome. But uh, this show was equally entertaining, a very good show. NXT never ceases to deliver. So definitely uh, check out my photos that I took at the event right here on the website at nextairwrestling.net. Go into event photos, and you'll find all the pictures I took, all the photos I snapped from the show, as well as my full review of my on-site report of the event, also right here on the website. Just go to Columnist Corner. Got to go back a few days. I think I put it up on Sunday. Uh, or if you just type in NXT LOL live review, whatever, from September 21st, 2017, it should come up. Um, also, the very next day, now it's been a very busy week with not just WWE stuff, but other stuff I've had going on. So uh, I did not have time on Friday night to watch Ring of Honor's Death Before Dishonor pay-per-view live. So I had to hold off on it until literally just yesterday. I just got finished watching the show yesterday. There was no place to watch it online. And I was pretty pissed. And usually they're a lot better at uploading shows like the next day or that weekend. But for whatever reason, no one can find uh, the show online. So it didn't get uploaded until I think Tuesday, actually. I should correct myself there. But I didn't have time to watch it until like yesterday afternoon, yesterday night on Wednesday night. So it took a full five days, but I finally got to watch Ring of Honor's Death Before Dishonor pay-per-view, and I'm glad I did. It was a great freaking show. And we said it two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, here on WrestleRant Radio with Brandon. Check out that episode, too, if you haven't already. But uh, that Ring of Honor always delivers on pay-per-view. Their week-to-week TV product isn't always must-see, like this week's episode is pretty forgettable. But um, the pay-per-views always deliver. They're always entertaining. They're always excellent. And this one was no exception. Um, you can check out my full review again right here on the website, nextairwrestling.net, under Calmness Corner. 
But uh, from quick thoughts on it, again, all the pay-per-views they've done this year have been pretty damn good. I thought Supercard of Honor was fucking great. Uh, the March pay-per-view 15th anniversary was also amazing. I was really, really happy with that show. The War of the Worlds pay-per-view, Best in the World, they were all awesome. And this one, again, continued that strong streak of stellar shows from Ring of Honor. The only thing I will say that was not, like, exciting was, oddly enough, the main event. Uh, Cody versus Manero Suzuki was a pretty dis- disappointing match for whatever reason. Maybe it was a lack of chemistry or time, but it felt like an undercard match. And the crowd wasn't into it. Finish came out of nowhere. I was not really too high on that main event. But everything else was excellent. Uh, the tag title match, I love the Young Bucks. I love the Motor Sin Machine Guns. I love their chemistry. And they had a damn good match on the pay-per-view. Which did see the Motor City Machine Guns for the first time ever become the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions. Now, at one point, the addiction, Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian did get involved. And if this is leading to a Ladder War rematch... At the final battle pay-per-view, I am all in. I'm not huge on interference, especially in Ring of Honor. They try to stray away from that stuff, but they haven't really done so in, you know, in, in recent months and whatever. On their TV, it seems like they have a run and finish every single show. So they need to stop doing that. But the match itself was great, and I'm completely okay with it if it leads to a ladder war rematch. Again, like I said, the subsequent pay-per-view final battle in December for two reasons. One, I was at the first one in Lowell, which was fucking insane. My first ever Ring of Honor show, awesome show, just incredible main event. And two, I could be at the second one, because I'm going to final battle with Noah, and uh, that'll be my second Ring of Honor show. So I don't know if many people can say they went to both the first and second ladder war matches between these three teams, and they work amazingly well together. So I really hope that's in the cards. Um, but either way, I'm very happy the Motor City Machine Guns are the new Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions. I love the Young Bucks, but it was time for a change, and it was the right time to pull the trigger. I think the, uh, the Machine Guns are great. I've been a big fan of those guys for a long time now, and they deserved it. Also, uh, title change, we had Kenny King beating Kushida for the Ring of Honor World Television title, which was another really, really fun match, and their performance, in my opinion, that Kenny King needed. Uh, the guy's a great talent, and that's been pretty evident for a long time now, but... I mean, they, they kind of tapped into that in TNA for a while when he was X-Division champion for a time in 2013. But by and large, they never really used him correctly. He was there for another two or three years after that. And he really just did nothing. Like he was in the Beatdown Clan, who cares? Like he was he was really doing a lot of nothing throughout 2014 and 2015. So I was glad he went back to Ring of Honor. But the All-Star or the All-Night Express or whatever the hell they call themselves, him and Rhett Titus... They weren't really clicking. The Rebellion thing was kind of dumb. So I'm glad he's on his own again. He's a babyface. He won the belt in his hometown. Got that really cool moment with his daughter in the middle of the ring afterwards. Uh, so I thought it was a great match. Awesome moment. And very well-deserving for uh, Kenny King as the new Ring of Honor World Television Champion. The rest of the card was, again, like I said, excellent. Um, I thought Jay White versus Punishment Martinez in the Las Vegas Street Fight was damn great. Those guys work really, really well together. Silas Young versus Jay Lethal. In a last man standing match, last real man standing, pun intended. They didn't call it that, I just thought of that right now. Uh, Silas Young won. Silas Young beat Jay Lethal, which is a huge accomplishment and a big win, and I really hope they capitalize off that for him, because he is another guy who could be a real player in that company if they position him in that light. For a long time now, he's been a glorified mid-carder. So I really hope he gets that big push, and uh, you know, towards the main event scene, and is challenging, challenging for the world championship before long, because the guy is really, really good. Trying to think of what else happened on the show. Um, I, I know we had Jay Briscoe turning on Bully Ray, which was 
pretty predictable, but it was uh, a great, you know, a, a cool moment and, and a good match with them versus the Bullet Club. Um, the opener was good with the with Bully Ray and the Briscoes versus the Kingdom. I feel like I'm missing a match. Oh yeah, Marty Skrull versus Chuck Taylor was also a very fun and great undercard contest, which, not that I wasn't expecting it, but I don't know too much about Chuck Taylor. I've seen bits and pieces. I know he's very good, but I'm glad I was able to see it for myself on the show because they had a very entertaining outing. So overall, two thumbs up. If you're not already watching Ring of Honor, just at least, if anything, it's a lot like NXT, where their weekly show isn't always great. I would rank NXT's weekly show over Ring of Honor, but that being said, and it's always easier to watch NXT in the network than it is Ring of Honor. I think they're on the Fight app, and among other channels, but it is difficult to kind of find the show. But it's a lot like NXT that if you don't watch the weekly show, you should, if anything, watch the pay-per-views. The pay-per-views always deliver, especially the most recent ones in 2017. And again, like I said, this one was no exception. I thought it was a stellar show start to finish. And as I said, also, I will be at Final Battle this December in the Hammerstein Ballroom, my first time in that part of the arena. Now, I was at the Manhattan Center for the, um, uh, the TNA tapings a few years ago. 2014 and 2015, I went to two shows at the Manhattan Center. Now, I've never been to the Hammerstein Ballroom part of that same building. There are two different venues within the same building. Never been to Hammerstein, but I will be in December. Uh, mere days before Christmas, it's going to be a blast, and I can't wait. So, very much looking forward to that in uh, in December. So, I'll give my predictions as that pay-per-view rolls by in a few more months. Uh, before we move forward into WWE talk on the note of Lucha Underground that kicked off Ultima Lucha Tres on Wednesday. Probably shouldn't say it like that, but I did anyway. Um, but they kicked off their four-week extravaganza with just an incredible show. Uh, Tejano versus, uh, what's his name? Uh, Dr. Ragnar Jr. in Famous B in a handicap match where the heels won and earned Tejano's contract, which I'm not sure what it means because we're not even sure if we're going to have a fourth season of Lucha Underground, but that was fine. But the main event needs to be needs to be seen to be believed. Like this match was just incredible. It was so surreal. Uh Killshot and Dante Fox went out there and freaking killed each other in what was basically Lucha's version of a three stages of hell match, but they called it Hell of War. Um because they're both they both have like war military backgrounds. And that's the whole thing that this feud has been built upon. But um, the match was just incredible from chair shots, table shots, ladder shots. I mean, it was basically a TLC match with fucking glass. With glass! It was just surreal. And I'm not a huge fan of, like, hardcore wrestling, but I thought this was just blow away. Like, again, it needs to be seen to be believed. And a lot like Ring of Honor, where, like, if you don't watch the regular show, that's fine. But when I'm recommending to a match, when I'm recommending you to a match like this, and I haven't really talked too much about Lucha Underground in the past couple of months, ever since the show came back for its, the rest of its third season, but this needs to be seen. This was just, whew, this was great. So definitely check out Killshot versus Dante Fox in a Hell of War match in the main event of Lucha Underground, Ultimate Lucha Trace on Wednesday night. And also, too, before I get to No Mercy, I just saw this this morning uh, from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. I guess they said it last night in the latest issue or on the radio show they do from Dave Meltzer that Caitlyn uh, might be returning to WWE. Apparently, officials have an interest in bringing her back. Now, that might be purely speculation based off the fact that she posted Instagram this past week that she got back in the ring for the first time in four years uh, because when Caitlyn left, she went on to pursue other endeavors with bodybuilding and maybe fitness and definitely fitness and maybe fashion or 
I, I think it was primarily fitness and bodybuilding, but um, she completely gave up wrestling. Now, she didn't leave on bad terms. Her contract expired. She said she wanted out. They granted her, and they weren't doing anything with her anyway. For the final six months of her career there, she was doing nothing, and she's gone on about that before about how they weren't really doing anything with her, and she was gaining weight because maybe she wasn't depressed, but uh, she was kind of upset that one week she'd be a babyface, and the next week she was a heel, a part of the non-Total Divas team, and it was just a lot of bullshit. Not like she was, you know, the Charlotte Flair of that time or anything. Not to say that she was amazing in the ring. She did get a lot better. She was pretty damn awful when she first started, but she got a lot better working with AJ Lee, and I thought the series of matches those two had that summer of 2013 were great. That said... Do we really need a Caitlyn return in WWE? Honestly, and I loved Caitlyn when she first debuted, and it feels like yesterday, but it's been seven years. Um, I, I was a big Caitlyn fan, but she kind of pales in comparison. I mean, she was a lot better than most of the women at that time in 2013. AJ Lee was head about, you know, head over heels better than the rest for the most part, but uh, we don't really need more women like that. I mean, she wasn't that good to begin with. She got a lot better, but... She pills in comparison to Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, Sasha Banks, Bailey, even Alexa Bliss, you know, and women like that. With Asuka coming to Raw, do we really need Caitlyn being back? Again, this might only be speculation, but, I mean, it'd be cool. I wouldn't be upset about it, but she was never really a huge name. She is a former Divas champion, which is cool, um, so she adds that going for her, but still, I mean, it's like, is anyone really clamoring for a Caitlyn heel turn? She's been kind of... Really out of the news, out of the out of the spotlight now for a long time. I mean, then again, I said the same thing about Jinder Mahal, and he came back and became fucking WWE champion. But you never know. I, I just really don't think we need a Caitlyn return. I mean, maybe you feel differently. I'd love to hear other people's thoughts on this. But personally, I, I, I'm not really feeling a return for her. Maybe a few years ago after she left for, you know, maybe a year and she came back in 2014. That would have been pretty cool. But at this point... Really, like, yeah, Caitlyn's back. Like, we don't really need her. With all the amazing amount of talent on the roster right now that they're doing nothing with. And yes, I know Emma was in the championship match in No Mercy, but the woman loses every single week. She's a freaking joke. So, I'm not a big fan of uh, of bringing her back when we already have talented women on the roster they're already not doing anything with. So, why would you bring back Caitlyn just to do the same thing with her? That being said, speaking of No Mercy, we had a last Sunday on September 24th, 2017, a very good show, I thought, overall. Um, the final two matches didn't do much for me, but I thought overall it was a damn good show. We had the kickoff match, Elias and Apollo Crews. Eh, it was decent for what it was. Nothing too memorable, really, at all. Um, Elias did win clean, so I was happy with that, as he should have. I like Apollo Crews, but they haven't done anything with this guy in ages. I know he's a part of Titus Worldwide right now, which I enjoy. I think they're a, a nice little group for what it is, but... Uh, he doesn't have, like, main event star written all over him as long as he's associated with Titus O'Neil. I mean, neither does Elias. I don't think Elias is, is going to become WWE champion next, you know, next, you know, the next week or whatever, if ever. But the guy has momentum. He does. I mean, he's been slowly, gradually getting over with the audience in recent months, beating likes, you know, beating likes of Kalisto and now Apollo Crews and a few others. He also has earned victories over Dean Ambrose and, and Finn Balor and a few others. So there's really no... You know, uh, no need to uh, have Apollo Crews go over when he's really struggling to get over at the moment. So anyway, it was a fine kickoff match, exactly what you would expect from those two. Kicking off the actual pay-per-view, The Miz defending the Intercontinental Championship against Jason Jordan. And what I thought was a really good match, but you had to know, the company had to know 
that with the event emanating from Los Angeles, California, the Staples Center, that The Miz was going to be cheered. He gets billed from California, from Hollywood, California, every single time he comes out. He's actually from Cleveland, but they had to know he was going to get cheered near, you know, Los Angeles, near Hollywood, California. They had to know that. And the same on the same pay-per-view, on the same show, where they're putting him up against a guy that is a lot like Apollo Crews, struggling to get over. So that, I thought, was not very well thought through. But it was a very good match, though. I thought they worked well together. I thought The Miz utilized The Miz Taraj to his best ability to retain the title, protecting Jordan in defeat, although it was a relatively clean win for Miz. Um, but I thought it was a great way to kick off the show. The crowd loved Miz. Not so much Jason Jordan. They did boo him throughout the match, chanting, you suck kind of uh, poking fun of the fact that he's Kurt Angle's son, which has been killing him so far. And I talked all about this a week or two ago here on the show, that Jason Jordan will not get over with the fans as long as they're pushing him as hard as they are. Now, he's lost a lot of matches, and he looked good against Roman Reigns and John Cena in those respective outings a few weeks ago. It's one thing to look good in defeat. It's another thing to start winning matches and also be given character development and mic skills and charisma. Right now, he doesn't really have that. Now, someone was saying to me on Twitter uh, when I was talking about this and that Jason Jordan and his post-match promo, how it all really said to me why he should turn heel. Like, it's just not working. It's not clicking. Someone pointed out that he doesn't have the charisma. He's never had the charisma. Now, granted, we've seen a lot of Jason Jordan in the past five years between NXT and the main roster. But just because what we've seen so far and he hasn't shown too much charisma, that doesn't mean he doesn't have it in him. I highly, highly doubt many people thought that The Rock, Rocky Maivia, was going to become as big as he was, as he has, when he first came into the company in 96, and was doing the smiling babyface gimmick as, you know, the goody-two-shoes good guy. Whoever thought that he'd become the great heel that he eventually became no more than a year later as part of Nation of Domination, I highly doubt people saw that one coming. I'm not saying Jason Jordan's the next rock, far from it. The guy's a great wrestler, but they need to give him a chance to shine as a heel. They need to turn him, maybe not tomorrow, and maybe that's where they're headed with all of this. But that post-match promo felt like it was poorly scripted, because when he was saying, no, oh, I don't suck, the Miz sucks, it was an awful promo, the crowd didn't care about it, and they let him have it afterwards, so... Um, I don't know what they're, they have in mind for him going forward, I'll talk more about Raw soon enough. Um, but it looks like they might be headed towards the Shield versus the Miztourage at TLC, which is a mistake. But if they do do that, then Jordan's shit out of luck for an opponent at the pay-per-view next month at TLC. You know, they did say that he was, oh, he came so close, but that it was the interference that cost him the championship, you know. So I would assume that a rematch is in the works, and I hope a rematch is in the works. I eventually, I assume he eventually will win the championship. It could be at TLC, but he can't win the title when Miz is already wrestling in another match and is already wrestling in another match with the Shield. So we'll see where that goes. But I thought it was a great match, though. Like I said, I thought it was a great way to kick off the show. Speaking of very good matches that I was not expecting, Finn Balor taking on Bray Wyatt. Now, before the match even began, Bray Wyatt attacked Finn Balor from behind. Balor was being taken out of the arena. Bray Wyatt taunted him. He teased him. Balor came back. Battled back, uh, the match got underway, it was a very good match, easily the best of the three matches they've had so far. And I say so far because it looks like the feud is continuing, which is a mistake, and I'll talk about that more momentarily. But uh, it, w- it was a very good match, I will give them that. Bray Wyatt does nothing for me at this point. The guy is good, he can go in there and have a great match if he's motivated and has a great opponent. I mean, that might not always be the case, 
some of the matches he had with Randy Orton and, and Dean Ambrose were pretty lackluster to say the least. But, uh, you know, the likes of Daniel Bryan, I thought he and Seth Rollins had a few good matches. The feud was completely forgettable. But the the matches that he and Rollins had, the, the two matches they did have on Raw and on, I think, Great Balls of Fire, were both quite good. And I thought this match was also very good. Um, and Balor scored the win as he should have. He was purely Finn Balor. He was not the demon. But, you know, making me all the more curious as to why the feud is continuing. Now, I know they need stipulation matches, which is why I hate the fucking TLC pay-per-view happening. And I mean, the, the fact they have it at all is a mistake. But, uh, I mean, last year's TLC show I thought was great, and they culminated a lot of great feuds on that pay-per-view from SmackDown Live. The timing of this show is just so wrong, though. Like, they're just continuing Balor and Wyatt for the sake of blowing off the feud in, what, like a tables or a chairs match? Like, who cares? You know what I mean? That's so stupid. Uh, Balor needs to get the hell away from Bray Wyatt. Now, he did say on Raw he has his sights set on the Universal Championship, which is great. But as long as this feud is going on, people will not care about Bray Wyatt. And maybe by default, Finn Balor too. So I really hope I, I really hope this was the end. Unfortunately, it was not. Um, but to their credit, it was a very good match. Balor won as he should have, and I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Uh, the match of the night for me was the Raw Tag Team title match. Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose beating Sheamus and Cesaro in a rematch from SummerSlam. These two teams work great together. Not only in singles matches, but especially in tag team competition. That was evident at SummerSlam. It was evident again in this match. And I thought this match was even better than the SummerSlam match, which is saying something because I thought that match was also one of the better bouts at SummerSlam. Uh, it, it was pretty slow early on, you know, mostly average wrestling. But once they picked up the pace and they started beating the living crap out of each other and the injury that Cesaro sustained to the mouth was, oh, beyond cringeworthy. That was where the match really, you know... It took it up a few notches. Would the match been as good without the injury? It's debatable, honestly. I think that match, I think the injury really benefited the match itself. I think it really benefited the bout. Made it feel much more personal and ruthless. And that Cesaro and essentially everyone involved would go to great lengths to win the match. In which they did. Rollins and Ambrose had a great showing. Uh, it's, it's the little things about these type of matches that I really enjoy. The little attention to detail with, like, Rollins holding Cesaro at ringside while Ambrose is trying to make a, a quick roll-up pin on Sheamus and stuff like that I thought was really well done. The whole match I thought was great. Um, so, again, the best match of the night for me. But, yeah, speaking of Cesaro, you got to give this guy mad props. If it wasn't already evident that this guy is exactly what they call them, the Swiss Cyborg, it was pretty much proven on this pay-per-view when he took a... What do you call it? Um, he was catapulted into the ring post. Now, I don't know if he didn't get his hand up or he was launched too hard by Ambrose. I'm not exactly sure. But he went face first into the ring post, the top of the ring post, and I thought he lost a few teeth. Now, I was watching the show with my girlfriend and she was wondering, where are the teeth? And because uh, it was obvious that he was hurt. Not like they were faking it or it was fake blood. It, it was pretty obvious that he, you know, he, he was fucked up in the mouth. But you couldn't see the teeth. You didn't see the teeth fly anywhere in the instant replay. It's like, huh, I wonder where they went. They didn't go anywhere except up in his gums, which is absolutely disgusting. Um, I, it, it was hard to watch that back knowing what actually happened when we found out the next day on WWE.com. That was messed up. So mad props to Cesaro for not only suffering through the injury during the match, but doing as much as he did. He still continued on and had a great match there with Ambrose and Rollins. So 
uh, they, if th this guy should be champion, not tag team champion, like world champion, not only because of shit like that, but because the guy's already great. That's already evident, but he is willing to do whatever he is willing to sacrifice his body. And despite how much pain he might be in for the better of the match. And, uh, you got to respect that, but I really, really dug this match. I hope the feud isn't over. I really hope it's Rollins, Ambrose and Reigns versus Sheamus and Cesaro and Braun Strowman, not the Miz Taraj. Um, I think they'd be much bigger rivals, a much bigger threat to the Shield than freaking the Miz Taraj at this point. But uh, this was awesome, and I really hope it's not the end of the feud. I thought it would be, but after this outing, I hope it's not. Um, they could have a million matches. A lot like the New Day and the Usos, they could have a million matches, and I would not complain, as long as every match is as good as this one was. Uh, for the Raw Women's Championship, a fatal five-way with Alexa Bliss successfully defending the championship against Bayley, Sasha Banks, Nia Jax, and Emma. Uh, and a really, really good match. Again, I didn't have high hopes for this. A lot of the multi-women matches they've done this year have been honestly pretty forgettable. Um, I wouldn't even put the Money in the Bank women's match, which I thought was really good. I wouldn't even put that anywhere near the top 10, even top 15 or top 20 matches in WWE in 2017. The Money in the Bank women's match from June. And they had the women's match at Battleground, which was the fatal five-way, and they've had tag team matches and the four-way at WrestleMania with the women and the six-pack challenge, like... A lot of those matches were largely forgettable. So I didn't have high hopes for the match, but they ended up having a really, really good bout. Um, I thought all five women worked well together. There was not a single dull moment. Nia Jax especially shined in the few moments that she had and the few power moves that she had being, you know, suplexed or power bombed or whatever off the apron and onto the floor, uh, you know, on the side of the ring, which was pretty crazy. Being sent into the ring post, she had a stellar showing here. And that power bomb to the floor looked nasty. It looked like she landed right on her neck. And for a 200, however you know she much weigh, however much she uh, might weigh, uh, regardless of what it is, with someone with that much girth, I guess might be the right word or weight or whatever, crashing down on the mat and your legs almost touching your face is is pretty scary. But it didn't seem like she was hurt, so good on her. But that was a scary spot. The match was great, though. Very exciting stuff. In the end, Bliss hitting her DDT on Bailey to retain the title. So Alexa Bliss is moving forward into a program with Mickie James, which I like a lot. Uh, we kind of already saw it on SmackDown. They never really got a full-fledged feud. They teased a little bit of it when they eventually had their falling out on SmackDown right before WrestleMania. And then it was just a six-woman match at WrestleMania, and it was never one-on-one -on -one between the two. They had a few singles matches on Raw, which weren't too good. So I'm not sure how the matches are going to be, how good the matches will be, but... Um, I like the idea of a feud. Alexa's already beaten again. She's beaten Banks. She's beaten Bailey. Uh, Emma, Nia Jax. I mean, Nia Jax beat her, so I guess they could do that. But it's heel and heel, no real interest. And you know they're just killing time before Asuka shows up. So you might as well just put Mickey James in the title picture. Why the hell not? She's great. She's been very much underutilized in her time being back in the WWE. So, and I've talked about that time and time again. So why not give her a title shot? Make people care about her. People sat on their hands when she came out on Raw this week, but... She made people care about her with her promo, and I thought they had a good exchange on the mic, and she got the better of Alexa Bliss by beating her down. So I thought it was a really good segment. I'm all for Alexa and Mickey at, uh, at the TLC pay-per-view. As long as they continue to make me care about the program and give me reasons to invest in Mickey. Now, we all know how good she is, but what about the newer fans? She hasn't been seen, aside from NXT TakeOver last year, since 2010. And what we've seen so far hasn't been too good. So are people just not going to give a shit? So far, they haven't. But again, like I said, if they can continue to make people care about this feud and putting her in situations where she can shine over the next month or so, I think it's going to be a good feud and a good match. Hopefully a TLC. Also, at no mercy, Roman Reigns 
versus John Cena for the first time ever. I really enjoyed this. Now, there's two camps here. I thought people either hated this match from what I saw, and people were tweeting me saying the finish sucked. Why would you do that? It was an awful match. And other people saying it was a great match. Now, I, I thought it was really, really good. Maybe not match of the year, um, but and I tweeted this out that I thought it reminded me a lot of John Cena's SummerSlam 2008 match with Batista, where it was very WrestleMania-esque, where there weren't a lot of rest holds and... You know, they were playing off the crowd and all this other stuff, and they were just hitting a lot of power moves and kick out after kick out, and the crowd was like, you know, going crazy after every kick out. It was pretty nuts, and I thought for that reason alone, this was a really, really good match. Now, would I have had Roman Reigns kick out of four attitude adjustments? Absolutely not. I think that was a first, and very ridiculous, including one off the top rope. Now, that's just dumb. That was pretty freaking stupid, so I would not have done that. But I thought the match was also just really, really good. The crowd atmosphere was there. The energy was there. Um, I thought they delivered with what they with what they had with the big power moves. Um, and it was only one spear, a measly spear, that beat John Cena. Uh, the same spear that Brock kicked out of like four times at WrestleMania a few years ago. And all that other stuff. I think Taker kicked out of like three or four too at WrestleMania earlier this year. But no, just one. The same, the same Undertaker that was broken down according to John Cena took four spears... In order to get beaten at WrestleMania, Cena only had to eat one. So, there you go. Uh, the match was great, though. I thought it was really, really good. Roman wins, clean. And their whole coronation, that he's the next guy. Now, I'll believe it when I see it. They can give him wins over John Cena, over The Undertaker, over Triple H, over, over Daniel Bryan from a few years ago, over Brock Lesnar. It doesn't matter. If people don't like the guy, he's not going to be the next guy. Now, I know John Cena and his whole situation many, many years ago, and that was a different story. It, they, they did not put Cena over as many big names as they have Roman Reigns in such a, sport, in such a short span of time. You know, Cena, I know, was legitimized like in the first year that he was WWE champion. They've done this Roman experiment like four or five times over the past two or three years. Between the Rumble and the WrestleMania main events, nothing has worked. And I don't think having him beat Lesnar at WrestleMania is going to work either. You know that's exactly where this is headed too, obviously. I mean, it's, it's been obvious for months now. Even dating back before WrestleMania, excuse me, this year. So I'm not a fan of it. Uh, I'm not really all too much looking forward to that, but you just got to accept the inevitable because that's exactly where this is heading. It won't be a Daniel Bryan-like situation where, like, you know, Sami Zayn gets hot and they put him in the match or whatever. It's like, that's it's not going to happen. They did it once before. They're not doing it again. After that, for the Cruiserweight Championship, Neville defending against Enzo Amore. This match sucked. Now, Enzo winning it all was a disgrace to the division. Now, a, a disgrace to the division. Now, I will say, he's made the most of what he's been given so far as a heel. I think Enzo's a lot better off at this point as a heel. He was already obnoxious anyway. He was cheating to win matches. Why not turn him heel? Having him say I'm a bigger star than the rest of the division, which is kind of sort of true. He's not really lying there. Um, in that he is much more relevant than everyone else in that division. He's uh, he's a much more notable name than frickin' Noem Dar or Lince Dorado. Uh, he, he sucks as a wrestler. He can't hold a candle to the rest of the guys in the division in the ring, but on the mic he certainly can, and whether you like him or not, he's still popular for whatever reason. So um, as a heel, I think he's going to do very well. I'm still not in favor of the title change. Uh, he was attacked by uh, Neville on Raw and the rest of the division before retaliating back on 205 Live before retaliating, excuse me, on 205 Live the next night. So it looks like they are continuing Enzo and Neville, which is fine for now, but I really hoped when Neville attacked Enzo at the end of Raw this week that he, 
In doing so, he did forfeit his shot at the, at the Cruiserweight Championship, his guaranteed rematch, in which a lot of us hoped that in him doing that, he would move back to the heavyweights. Now, that is yet to happen. It didn't look that way on 205 Live because he was back in action as a babyface, apparently, which, and I really hope he doesn't lose that edge that got him over as a heel to begin with. It'd be pretty dumb if he went back to using the same old music and the cape and all that other garbage. He's way better with this character than he ever was before. Um, but I really hope Neville does expand beyond the Cruiserweight division in the coming weeks. Uh, he gets the rematch out of the way with Neville, I'm mean, out of the way with Enzo. But again, I wouldn't even do that because this match was awful as it is. Uh, to get boring chance during a Neville match is, is saying a lot. And to have Neville lose again to Enzo, like fair and square, is just doing more damage to Neville. So I wouldn't even do the rematch. I would have just have him move on to somewhere else on Raw. Whether it be with The Miz or with someone else, I think Neville would shine with the heavyweights on that show. Because so far, uh, the Cruiserweight division has been a bust over the past year. It's been a year, almost the day, uh, since the Cruiserweight division launched on Raw. And so far, it's been a bust. People just don't care. Getting Enzo on the show might boost some views for now, but as of right now, I don't think many people care any more about the show than they did before in this match. And you know, it's one thing with Enzo that he's popular, but the guys have been a joke for for a long time now. So giving him the championship does not speak very highly of the division. But they did put him in the main event segment of Raw this week, which was interesting. And I guess we'll see where they go with it. But initial reaction, I was not too fond of Enzo becoming the new cruiserweight champion on this show. And then the main event, the disappointment continued with Brock Lesnar versus Braun Strowman for the Universal Championship. Now, I was really looking forward to this match, as many other people were, but they just didn't have the chemistry at all. Um, I don't know if it was a lack of chemistry so much that it was just poorly planned out, but uh, Braun took a majority of the match. Um, he hit his finisher, I think, three times, but the crowd didn't even really react when he hit it because I think even they knew that he wasn't going to win. Um, I mean, they put together a decent little match, but for a main event, this was extremely disappointing. It ended way too abruptly. Brock literally picked up Braun out of nowhere, hit him with the F5, and it was over. Like, it was disappointing enough when that happened to Samoa Joe at Great Balls of Fire a few months ago, but at least in that match's defense, it was a great match, so it was hard to complain. I would not have done that finish, but it was hard to complain because they thought it was a, it was a great match. This was nowhere near as good. This was a very big disappointment for a main event title match. And it is indeed set in stone for as much momentum as Braun has had this year. It didn't pay off. They weren't going to do the title change. Vince is set in his ways of doing Braun, and uh, not Braun, excuse me, Brock and Roman at WrestleMania. Nothing is going to change that, bearing an injury or barring an injury, whatever. Uh, aside from either guy suffering an injury, it, the match will go on as planned. Brock and Roman which sucks, and I wrote a whole article earlier this week for HiddenRemote.com that there are plenty of other opponents for Brock to face at WrestleMania not named Roman Reigns. But it's, I don't know, it's just what they want to do, and now Brock is seemingly gone. Now, I say seemingly until January, until the Royal Rumble, but I did see that he was advertised for a Raw in November, which they had said was the go-home show for uh, for Survivor Series in the report, which I don't think is true, because I'm pretty sure Survivor Series is the same weekend that it was uh, last year, in like Thanksgiving week, or the week after, or maybe the week before, I don't know, and I think he's showing up for the November 3rd Raw, or something like that, so, I'm not sure how accurate that is, but, uh, I guess we'll see, um, but, I, he might be wrestling in Survivor Series, I would put him in Survivor Series, if he won't wrestle at TLC, which is fine, he's already wrestled so far at Great Balls of Fire, SummerSlam, and now No Mercy, which is great, 
but they got to get him on uh, on Survivor Series. Like, I get not being there for TLC or for, I don't even know if they have a December pay-per-view, but if they don't have one, you know, on, uh, you know, between Survivor Series and Rumble, they got to get him at Survivor Series and have him wrestle on that show. Um, against two, that's the question. He's already beaten Joe clean. He's already beaten Strowman clean. And as Miz, as Miz mentioned on Miz TV on Raw this week, he beat Roman Reigns clean. He beat Roman Reigns clean too at SummerSlam in the middle of the ring. Now it was a fatal four-way match, but he did pin Roman. He did pin Roman to win that match. So they're doing that match anyway. But it is pretty silly to think that Roman is a threat to Brock Lesnar come WrestleMania, considering he's already lost to him. He's already he's already been pinned by the Beast um, just recently. So who would you do? Uh, Braun's been beaten. Joe's been beaten. Uh, maybe Finn Balor. Like I said, they have Balor and Bray Wyatt spinning their wheels right now in a feud that no one cares about. But they could blow that off, finally, hopefully, at TLC. And then move on to um, one more match at Survivor Series with uh, Brock and Balor. That's what I would do. Um, if it's not Balor, then who? Like Seth Rollins? But not that, not because we've already seen it, but Rollins is, the middle of the, is in the middle of the tag team title run right now. So it doesn't really make much sense to... Uh, put him in the championship picture at this point in time. So I think Balor would make the most sense. Balor and Brock for the belt, I would go all four. You know, I don't know who Brock defends against at the Rumble. I think Balor and Lesnar is going to happen eventually. And it could be a really fun match. Now, Braun was beaten in 5 to 10 minutes. Joe was beaten in 5 to 10 minutes. For Balor to really get any get in any offense at all is going to be, uh, um, would be shocking. But it could be a fun match if booked the right way. David versus Goliath matches in WWE are largely more often than not entertaining. And I think that match could be very, very fun as well if they booked it the right way. So I guess we'll see where they go with it. But overall, though, speaking of No Mercy, before we move on, I thought it was a really good show. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, the final two matches were either awful with the Cruiserweight title match or the uh, main event I thought was disappointing. But again, I was in the camp that enjoyed Reigns and Cena. I've talked to people that said they loved it. I was. I talked to people that said they hated it. So, uh, I don't know, I, I really liked it personally, but the undercard I thought was where the show really shined. The tag title match was the best part of the show. Uh, the women's match was also really, really good. Miz and Jordan was a great kickoff match. Balor and Wyatt was also re- very good. Um, a kickoff match to the pay-per-view, not Elias and Cruz. Jordan and Miz was good, like I said. Uh, Balor and Wyatt was a lot better than I thought it would be, so those four matches right there, the IC title match... Balor and Wyatt, the tag title match, and the women's match were all great. And Reigns and Cena, too, in my opinion. That was a bit polarizing. There were various opinions on that bout, but personally, I enjoyed it. So overall, I would give the show a thumbs up. Not two thumbs up because of those last two matches being pretty lame. Uh, And although it wasn't the greatest pay-per-view I've seen all year from WWE, it was still very good nonetheless. So from there, to finish off the show, we'll talk about Raw and SmackDown to close out the hour. Um, Raw, I thought, was a decent show. Wasn't the hottest fallout episode of Raw from a pay-per-view I've ever seen, especially recently, um, but I thought it was solid for the most part, um, like I said, the I already talked about a lot of what happened, at least the important stuff, with Neville and the rest of the Cruiserweight division attacking Enzo to close out the show, which was different, we've never seen the Cruiserweights in the main event before, so that was kind of interesting, uh, Mickey and Bliss kicked off their feud, Strowman beating Dean Ambrose also happened on the show. Now, Strowman obviously wreaking havoc to get his heat back from the loss at the hands of Brock Lesnar at the pay-per-view last Sunday. Him killing Kurt Hawkins on Raw was pretty great, too, before beating Dean Ambrose clean. Now, he beat Ambrose here. Uh, Strowman will face Seth Rollins on next week's Raw, which is why I've said Strowman, Cesaro, and Sheamus taking on the reuniting shield at TLC, I think, would be the best option. Now, Roman Reigns is coming off the biggest win of his career to date over, I mean... 
mm, the win over Undertaker might be bigger. But anyway, he's coming off a pretty major victory over John Cena at the pay-per-view. So what do you do with him? That's the question. Like, Brock's gone. Cena's gone. Which is why the Cena feud should have been more than one match. But Cena might be gone now for another three or four months, per usual. Um, it would have been cool to see that culminate in another match at TLC, but that's not happening. So, to take him from singles competition and route to challenging Brock Lesnar for the belt, only to put him right back with the Shield, it seems kind of counterproductive, but everyone loves the Shield, so maybe they're going to try to get him over using, you know, Dean Ambrose, uh, Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins, which is fine. The timing works out. We're coming up on the five-year anniversary of when they debuted anyway. TLC was the show that they had their first match at five years ago, the one of the best matches of 2012 against Ryback and Team Hell No and that awesome TLC match. But the thing is, is that Team Hell No and Ryback were formidable threats to the Shield. The Miz Tourage is not. So on Raw this week, we had Roman Reigns on Miz TV, like I said earlier. And Roman brought up Jason Jordan and how he came close to winning the belt, had it not been for the Miz Tourage. And Jordan and Matt Hardy teamed up because Jeff Hardy's now out hurt, which sucks. And they beat the Miz Tourage. So anyway, more uh, Roman Reigns and The Miz had a match later on in the night. And I figured that because Roman brought up Jason Jordan and the fact that, oh, Miz, you couldn't beat him clean or whatever without interference, that means that feud is not yet over. I could be wrong. I would keep that feud going as opposed to putting uh, The Miz and The Miz Taraj up against The Shield. But again, that's just me. So Roman beat Miz later on in the night, which is fine. Like, having the champion lose is not ideal, but they are building to an Intercontinental Championship match next week between Roman and Miz. So after this match, the Miz, Taraj, and the Miz attack Roman Reigns, lay him out, come back in the ring, hit him over the head with a chair. They might have done the concierto. I might be mistaken. They haven't done that move in forever, so I might be wrong there. But they did taunt Roman Reigns and stand over his broken down body doing the shield pose, which would mean that they will be doing they will be doing Shield versus Miz Taraj at TLC. Now we were all up in arms when everyone thought they might be doing it at SummerSlam, and uh, it's it's just not a big enough match to bring the Shield back for their first match back in five years. Should be a marquee. It should be the main event of that pay per view, especially with Brock being gone seemingly until November or January or December or whenever the hell he'll be back. That match has to main event the pay per view. There's no question. But the Miz Taraj, like we've seen Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel get beaten two minutes by the likes of Jason Jordan and other people on frickin' main event of all shows in the past number of years. Why would they, of all people, be threats to Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, and Roman Reigns, let alone individually? Curtis Axel and Bo Dallas against Dean Ambrose would be a mismatch, let alone against all three of those guys. You know what I'm saying? So I know they attacked Roman on Raw. They were made to look like threats. Miz is one thing. He's getting back to where he once was on SmackDown as the upper mid-card guy. And he always kind of has been, but to being a more dominant, aggressive heel, which is great. But I can't take Curtis Axel and Bo Dallas seriously. They're lackeys. That's exactly what they are. They're not equals to the Miz. They're not the Shield. They're not even uh, what the Wyatt family were. I mean, I guess the Wyatt family, they were kind of lackeys too, alongside Bray Wyatt, but... They're not the Shield. The Shield were all equals. It's the Miz, and then several notches down is Axel and Dallas. So that's not the match that I would do. Not saying I don't want to see the Shield back together, because if you don't bring the Shield back together, what do we even do with what do we even do with all those guys involved? Do another Ambrose and Rollins and uh, Sheamus and Cesaro rematch? That would be pretty cool. You know, I was thinking we were talking last week with Jamie Lee Mack here in the show. We were talking that we could do a fatal four-way TLC match with the Hardy Boys and the Club and. Cesaro and Sheamus and Ambrose and Rollins, but of course the Hardy Boys are out of commission for a while with Jeff being hurt, so that's out of the question. Um, 
But I, I would definitely do something with the Shield, if not just Ambrose and Rollins against Cesaro and Sheamus themselves. They have to continue that feud because those teams work well together. And if you don't continue that feud, then it's going to be Reigns, uh, Ambrose and Rollins, the whole Shield versus Miztourage, which it's it's a total mismatch. You can't do the match. You, you just can't. I mean, I guess they can, but they shouldn't is what I'm saying. Um, I know they teased it on Raw, and I had read something from the Wrestling Observer newsletter this past week that they haven't yet made up their mind on what they want to do, and there's no plan set in stone for TLC as of right now, which is good. The pay-per-view's not for another month, so they have time to figure out what the hell they're going to do. But like I said earlier, Braun Strowman taking on The Shield alongside Sheamus and Cesaro makes the most sense to me, because Cesaro and Sheamus are already feuding with Ambrose and Rollins. Strowman beat Ambrose this week on Raw. He's facing Rollins next week, and the history he has with Roman is well documented. So it, it's it's already there. It books itself. It makes sense, and the match would be way better. Like if you don't do that, who do you have Braun face? Apollo Cruz in the kickoff? Like who the hell cares? They don't really have top tier baby faces right now, especially with Balor being tied up again in the feud of the with Bray Wyatt going into TLC. So that's what I would do. Um, they could start building off that coming this weekend Raw with Rollins taking on Braun Strowman. And after Rollins gets beat, maybe Roman comes out and saves his ass. Now, Roman looked like a dick. Or, uh, excuse me, Ambrose and Rollins looked like dicks for not saving Roman from the beatdown from the Miz and Raw this week. So, But then again, Roman didn't save either Ambrose or Rollins when they were being beat down by Sheamus and Cesaro leading into SummerSlam. So, consider it fair game. And you also have to consider what the timetable is for Cesaro's return. Um, if he's even going to be out at all. Like, the injury that he suffered at No Mercy was, was pretty brutal. He must have had to have extensive dental surgery or worked on whatever on his mouth to fix that shit up. Because that looked pretty fucking brutal. He was out there on Raw this week. I don't think he opened his mouth once. I don't know if he has, I don't know if he has to have his jaw wired shut or what. I don't think so. Because it's just a, it's the teeth. It has nothing to do with the jaw. Um... But he didn't say anything. He didn't really do anything. He was out there, though. He could be wrestling on this weekend's live events. I have no idea. Um, but I hope he's back soon. The pay-per-view's not for another month. So you can keep him out of the ring and bring him back in time for TLC if he does have to stay out for a little longer. But knowing Cesaro and the fact that he got through the match anyway when he was bleeding you know, by, uh, you know, from the mouth extensively during that match on Sunday, I think he'll be just fine and be back sooner than expected if he's going to be out at all. So that shouldn't really be an issue, but... Like I said, Shield versus Braun Strowman, Cesaro and Sheamus books itself. It makes the most sense. I would pay good money to see that main event at uh, TLC. Now, the match is more about the Shield's reunion than the match itself. And I realize that might be their mindset if they do the Shield versus Miztourage. But they have to know the match logically would have to be over in like two minutes. Because Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel are jokes. They're lackeys. They're, they're supposed to be not even bodyguards, just a little... Uh, sidekicks for The Miz. So having them be viewed as equal threats, as credible challengers, credible competitors, as equals to The Shields, Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, and Seth Rollins is laughable. So anyway, that's that's pretty much Raw in a nutshell. There really wasn't much else in the show I thought was uh, worth talking about for the most part. Um, like you said, Jeff Hardy's out hurt. I really hope they do something with Matt Hardy while Jeff is out hurt for the time being. Uh, I'll talk quickly about SmackDown. Um, I thought this was a good show, too, for the most part. Largely focused on Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. And thank God, thank freaking God, they're finally doing something with Sami. Now, this might have been a one-time thing, which is fine. But I thought the promo that kicked off the show was great. The match was also really, really great. The match they had in the main event of the show later on in the night. 
Uh, Sammy has just been wasted since coming over to SmackDown. I know he was doing the feud with Baron Corbin, and he beat him at Backlash, and he was in the Money the Bank main event, but they haven't done anything with the guy since then. He also won a Battleground. He beat Mike Kanellis, but it's been two months, and he lost to Aiden English like right after that. So the guy's been mostly a joke since then. Um, I know people were asking me, like, do they turn him heel and align him with Kevin Owens? I don't know if I would do that necessarily. I think Kevin Owens, I think, excuse me, Sami Zayn is the perennial babyface. Um, but you know what, like RJ said last night on the 200th hashtag, hashtag AskGSM, whatever gets him on TV in a meaningful role, whatever, just do it. You know, I mean, I know he was laid out by Owens at the end of this match, so he'll be out for the foreseeable future, I'd imagine. I mean, he, he took the same bump many months ago or many years ago at TakeOver Arrival or Unstoppable or whatever it was, and he was out for months, like a month and a half. So for him to be back next week would be kind of ridiculous, but knowing WWE, they would do that anyway. Uh, so we'll see where it goes, but I thought they were the true stars of the show on Tuesday night. The Owens and Zayn killed it, and they furthered the feud with Owens and Sheen without, without having them touch. Because when Sheen came out to save Sammy, Owens shoved Sammy with the chair wrapped around his neck into Sheen, and then Owens took off. I thought that was very well done. The rest of the show is solid. Uh, Bobby Roode finally came out to interrupt Dolph Ziggler in a good segment. I don't know how good the feud's going to be, but whatever gets off Roode to a solid start on SmackDown... I'm all for it. I couldn't care too. I couldn't give two shits about Dolph Ziggler. I couldn't care less about the guy at this point. But he is still capable of having good matches. So hopefully him and Rude could have a good match at the Hell in a Cell pay per view. Uh, Charlotte Flair beating Carmella one on one, fine match. Usos quickly beating the Hyperos to further the tension between uh, Zack Ryder and Mojo Raleigh. It looks like Ryder is going heel, and they might pull the trigger on that sooner rather than later. Uh, they did have Mojo Raleigh and Ryder like getting a heated argument with Shelton Benjamin and Chad Gable on a SmackDown Fallout video on their YouTube channel after the show went off the air. But they already did that match a few weeks ago, so maybe they'll do it again. I don't know, but uh, I thought this was uh, this was fine, though. I thought that was a fine match. But the bigger announcement is that Hell in the Cell next weekend, which we'll do predictions for next week here on the show, it's going to be the Usos versus the New Day inside Hell in a Cell for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. Now, that's pretty freaking cool. Um, the whole feud's been awesome. I thoroughly enjoyed it. The two teams really bring the best out of each other. Uh, so I think it's very fitting to have them fight and hopefully culminate their feud inside Hell in the Cell. Now, the big question for months now is that what would be next for the SmackDown Tag Team Division beyond this feud? We've been saying it for months now, and I really don't have a good answer for you. We have Shelton Benjamin. We have Chad Gable, which are a rising tag team, which is cool. They're breaking up the hype bros. Uh, the Ascension hardly count. Brazongo's back next week with the Fashion Files, which is cool. Um, I know there's another team I'm not thinking of right now, but that, that's really about it. They don't have many teams on SmackDown, uh, so I don't know what else they do with these guys beyond Hell in the Cell, but I am looking forward to the Cell match. Let's just focus on that for right now. I think it's a great match for two great teams coming off their Las Vegas street fight. or Was it a Las Vegas street fight? I'm pretty sure it was. Sin City street fight is what they called it. Um, a few weeks ago on Sin City SmackDown Live. So that should be a great match. I would put that in the main event if we are, if we didn't already have uh, Kevin Owens versus Shane McMahon. Now, I would have that match kick off the show, Usos and The New Day. I think that'd be a hell of an open to the pay-per-view next month. Or, uh, yeah, it is next month. It is in, it's in early October. It's already late September, which is completely flown by. But um, I would have that match kick off the show, do Nakamura and Jinder in the middle. And that feud still sucks, by the way. Um... Just it, it makes me worried. It, it worries me because that match is not inside Hell in the Cell, which means there's a good chance that the 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 Bollywood boys, the Singh brothers, might still interfere and help Mahal retain the title. And since it's not main eventing, 
and they should close out the show with Kevin Owens and Shane McMahon that Nakamura isn't winning. And if they have a, they have if they have him suffer yet another loss to Jinder, I don't want to say he's dead in the water, but his stock will decrease significantly more than it already has uh, with the loss to Jinder at SummerSlam, which was awful. So the the feud is still terrible. I thought what we saw this week from them was better than what we saw the past two weeks. But I still don't care. The gender experiment is just not working. I'm not sure what other way I could say it. We went off in a massive rant on gender. Both in hashtag last week, uh, we talked about it with with Noah. And also here on the show with, with Jamie Lee Mack. We went on a big rant on gender and why he is not working as WWE champion. So hopefully that is the end of the Jinder Mahal experiment at, at Hell in the Cell. One can only hope, but again, since it's probably not main eventing, and it shouldn't, even though it's the WWE Championship match, it's like the third most important thing on the show, um, it, it worries me that Nakamura won't win, but hopefully that's not the case. And also on the show, we had Baron Corbin taking on Ty Dillinger after Dillinger attacked Corbin last week on SmackDown. A good little match. Corbin won, but by countout. So, do you add Dillinger to the U.S. title match at, at the pay-per-view? They already announced Corbin and AJ Styles. Now, I'd throw Dillinger in there. I know he hasn't won many matches, but he had strong showings against AJ Styles, against Baron Corbin. He's still involved in the feud, so to leave him out of it would be, be kind of weird. So, I would I would throw Dillinger in there. Why the hell not? People don't really dig Corbin versus Styles one-on-one anyway, so throwing Dillinger in the mix might be for the better. Um, but I'd totally buy that as U.S. title match of the show. And also, the final thing on SmackDown, we had Orton crashing Rusev's Pride of Bulgaria celebration, uh, which I thought was actually a lot better than I thought it would be. It dragged on forever, but that was the whole purpose. So when Orton came out and attacked, uh, he RKO'd Aiden English out of nowhere, who was singing the Russian National Anthem, and then Orton laid him out with an RKO out of nowhere, before laying Rusev out with an RKO out of nowhere as well. So he got his, uh, giving, giving, Rusev his giving Rusev his comeuppance after Rusev beat him in like 10 seconds last week on SmackDown leading to a third match at the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view next weekend. So speaking of Hell in a Cell, we'll be back next Thursday. That's about it for WrestleRant Radio this week, but we will be back next Thursday, maybe with Spencer or the week after with Spencer, but either way, next week's show will be all about Hell in a Cell predictions. So stay tuned for that. It's that time of the year again where we get into like the crazy WWE pay-per-views where one week it's No Mercy predictions, No Mercy review. Hell in a Cell predictions, Hell in a Cell review. TLC predictions, TLC review. It's like we have a pay-per-view every two weeks. I was enjoying my Sundays. I was thinking to myself, huh, these Sundays are a lot more relaxing and uh, just not as busy as they have been. Like, why is that? It's because there haven't there hasn't been a pay-per-view on a Sunday in a while before No Mercy. And now we're having, like, one every two weeks again for the next, like, month and a half. So, whatever. It is what it is. Uh, that's just the way the WWE works sometimes. And uh, we'll see how it goes. But, um, yeah, this was a pretty solid and newsworthy week in WWE, and we'll be back next Thursday to talk all about Hell in a Cell, my picks, previews, and predictions for every match on the show, no matter who is joining me on the panel to talk about it. So that being said, guys, as always, before we close out, once again, thank you for your support, not only of this show, but of hashtag AskGSM throughout the past four years. Check out the live episode almost in its entirety, three hours Close to three hours. It's two hours and like 45 minutes. It's pretty freaking crazy. So check it out at your leisure on YouTube at youtube.com backslash C backslash Graham Jesus Matthews. Help us uh, inch ever closer to 1,400 subscribers. Again, I appreciate your support. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at WrestleRant. And I still haven't gotten 280 characters yet. 
A lot of people did. I have not. I'm still pretty pissed about that, so hopefully soon. Uh, find me on Facebook at facebook.com backslash graham.gsm.matthews and be sure to listen to new episodes of Wrestle Rant Radio every single Thursday right here on nextairwrestling.net. All that being said, guys, enjoy the rest of your week. I'm Graham GSM Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road. Do a step, do a step, do a step, do a